man said, every morning when I get up, I look at Forbes' list of the richest men in America. If I'm not on it, I go to work. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was taken with something that most of you don't remember him. His name was Harry Reasoner, and he was a commentator for many, many years with ABC, I think. ABC News or CBS, I can't recall. But Harry Reasoner said, when 25% of the population think you ought to impeach the president, and 51% of the population believe in UFOs, then maybe you need to impeach the president, but you certainly need to get a new population. No one was scheduled to speak today, and I certainly didn't intend to because for a few days this week, I was having some uh, reminders of kidney stones that I had a couple of years ago, and it wasn't to that point that it was excruciating, but it was definitely reminiscent, and I went, I'm not going to commit to anything because I know where this might lead if I... (laughs) But it... Subsided. Our prayers work. Pardon me? Our prayers work. Yeah, but you didn't pray hard <laughs> enough because yesterday about 6 o'clock, all of a sudden I started getting dizzy, mm. and I got dizzier and dizzier, and it's, it, it's worse than anything I have ever had in my life. I couldn't take two steps without feeling like I was going to fall on the ground. And it was that way at 3 o'clock when I woke up this morning, and then it gradually got better. And I have no idea what happened, or at least I didn't know what happened until I got here today. And now I know what happened this past week. That drugged you. Jin Jin. Jin Jin came here and everything fell apart. (laughs) I accept your apology. No, I have failed. (laughs) When she was here before working on her graduate program, she didn't know how to wink. She would go. I said, no, it's one eye, so she'd go. I said, no, you can't do that. It has to be. She still can't do it. (laughs) All this time studying, and she won't learn how to wink. You won't commit enough time to the important stuff. (laughs) So anyway, let me see if I know where I am. One scripture I just want to start off with is 1 Corinthians 6.20. And it says, for you've been bought with a price Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
Jesus says we've been bought with a price. What's the price? The price is his life. He bought us out of the clutches of sin by his own blood, by his own death. And therefore, because he did that, because he bought everybody that believes in him, he bought them with a price, he bought them away from death, and he bought them into eternal life. So why? So what are we supposed to do? Therefore, glorify God in your body. Here's some questions that most people in the world ask themselves either out loud or believe in their heart. I matter most and others are not as important as I am. What satisfies me is what's important. If I I can earn enough money, I'll be happy. Whatever I do is acceptable as long as nobody gets hurt. Success is the path to fame, future, or fortune rather, and power. If our favorite and private thoughts were exposed, is this what we would see that other people are really thinking? Is this what they would see that we're really thinking? That these are the most important things in life. These are the most important things to me. From the world's perspective, the Christian's way of looking at things are just crazy. They're unattractive at the at the at best and crazy at the worst. Because these are the way Christians are supposed to look at things. God is in control of all things and has a purpose for everything that happens. People exist to glorify God. Money cannot shield us from sin, desire, or disaster, or disease. Success in God's kingdom means humility and service to others. A lot of Christians would say that they believe these things, but their actions don't prove that they really do. We say a lot of things, but we don't live it out. And now the scripture that I was going to read, and still am, even though Bill usurped it this morning, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve excuse me, prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. So how do we offer our bodies, ourselves, as a sacrifice to God? Paul uses four words to describe what he's talking about. He says bodies. Sin still wants to control us through our bodies. But it can't when we offer our bodies to God for his use. Those that are alive in Christ have the power to resist temptation. When you're not alive in Christ, you don't. You think you do, but you don't. Because that's really what you want. You want to do what your body wants. But when you're alive in Christ, you've got the power to resist the temptation to do wrong, to do evil. He uses the word living. You know, in the Old Testament... The sacrificial animals always died as a picture of the promise of the Savior who was to come. The one that's going to come, that's what's going to die for our sins. And now that Jesus has died for us and was raised again, we no longer are to live for ourselves. We're to live for him. He's bought us with a price. We're to live for him. You know, the Old Testament animals didn't have a choice. They gave up their life. Jesus gave up his life. He had a choice. And he gave up his life for us so that we might live forever. You know, only Christians can give their bodies back to God as evidence of the new life in Christ. The new life that God has given them. And Paul uses the word holy. Any sacrifice given has to be holy. That means entirely consecrated to God. Entirely separated to God. Set apart to him. He is the one, God that is, who provides all we need to please him with our choices. We've been purchased not with perishable things, Paul says, like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. No defects in Jesus. Totally acceptable to God. And he uses the word pleasing. This is the final word that describes our sacrifice as pleasing. It pleases God that we offer ourselves to him. That's what pleases God. Our entire self, our entire thinking, our, the way we live, the way we act, what we do, our motives, a motivation that causes us to do what we do. Holy to God describes the quality of life that we're supposed to pursue. Pleasing to God describes the results. All right, so holy describes what we're supposed to do, how we live our life. And pleasing to God tells us the results of that holy life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. (coughs) God's testing our heart all the time to see if we believe what we say, to see if we are truly 
giving ourselves a living sacrifice to his son. What motivates us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God? What this means is what motivates us to live a truly Christian life. The grace of God that has saved us from everlasting darkness and brought us in his radiant presence, the radiant light of God, that's what motivates us. That's the worship that is both spiritual and reasonable. It's spiritual and reasonable because of what God has done in saving us from sin, because of what he continues to do to keep us in his presence, to keep us from falling back into what he delivered us from. And because God's ways are perfect and good, it is only proper to offer ourselves to him without any reservation at all. Why would you hold back from the one that's perfect, that's bought you to be with him in eternal glory? What could we possibly have that's worth holding back from the one that's holy and perfect. Because eternity is real, and this life is a short part of forever. This is not very long when you compare it to forever, is it? A couple of blinks. Verse 2 again says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paraphrase. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. J.B. Phillips, a Bible translator, says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Believers are to think and act like Jesus. So what's worldliness? Some people want to relate the word worldliness to uh, behavior. Don't do certain things, and it makes you godly, holy. Don't eat certain foods. Don't watch, watch certain entertainment forms. But if we focus on behavior we actually get away from the heart of the gospel. Worldliness is not a list of behaviors. You want a good definition of worldliness? Here's one. Whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. That's worldliness. Whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. And boy, do we have it today constantly. It makes sin look normal, acceptable, and wonderful, and righteousness look weird, crazy, and strange. Paul attacks worldliness at its root, not in our behaviors, but in our thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we don't want to conform to the world's pattern, we have to look at life from the Bible's point of view, not the world's. Right behavior follows when we begin to think rightly. If you don't think right things, your behavior is not going to be there. 
When Paul uses the word world or the pattern of this world, our word secularism is what comes the closest. Secularism, can't even get it out right now, secularism, it's the pursuit of life apart from God. That's what secular means. It's pursuing a life apart from God. It's the pattern of this world. It says that the world is all there is. So don't worry about anything else. There's nothing apart from this world. The alternative to conformity to the world's pattern is to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Our worldview is different. The starting place for this different worldview is the doctrine of God. It's the knowledge of God. It's what God says. God alone is eternally above and beyond the world. If God exists, then the supernatural exists. Supernatural means over, above, or in addition to nature. And whether people acknowledge him or not, God stands above the universe. Every value we have stands behind this truth. The truth that God is in control, that God is, that God has designed everything, that he has not left it alone, but he's there and he's constant. Since God exists, our own self-fulfillment can no longer be our ultimate goal. We seek to please God even when we have to deny ourselves or suffer. Suffering is a part of life. You cannot get away from it in Scripture. It is there constantly. And to think that we are not going to suffer is a fool's errand because it's going to happen. The thing to do is just embrace God and his plan because if you don't, then the suffering you've got now is just a kindergarten compared to the suffering you're going to get later. So you can embrace God's will and his plan and just know that he's in control. Know that he is doing this for his purpose to bring himself glory and part of his purpose and part of what brings him glory is to transform us into the likeness of Christ. And being transformed is not easy. Okay? It's just tough sometimes. But there's a purpose and the purpose is for your good and for God's glory. God has spoken. He says we can trust him completely. His word gives us the reality of absolutes. The world says there's no absolute. God says, oh yeah? You really think that? There are absolutes. And I'm telling you what they are. And they're right here. They haven't changed since the beginning to now. And they never will. They don't change because God is constant. He is, the, the theological term is aseity. And aseity means the self-existence of God. He is self-existent. Now, how do we break that down in our minds? I don't have the foggiest idea. Nobody can do it. He just is. And he always has been and he always will be. God transforms us. We do not transform ourselves. But transformation is not passive. That means you just don't sit back and say, Oh, God, okay, God, here I am, transform me. You've got a part to play. 
Saving faith is more than agreeing that the Bible is true. Faith believes God and acts on the faith. You've got to act on what you say you believe. God justifies us. That means he declares us to be righteous. And he does this through faith alone. But true faith always expresses itself outwardly in faithful Christian living. We reveal our faith as we offer ourselves to God. The word of God alone is powerful enough to renew our mind and to change the pattern of our life to be like Jesus. That's why it's so dramatically and drastically overall important to get here because this is what changes your life. And that nothing else will do it. If you don't start and end here, you'll be going, I don't need that. God's not real. I can't, you know, God's not real to me. He's not real to you because you're not here and you're not seeing, you're not seeing the power of the Holy Spirit make this alive to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that we not be conformed to this world. Lord, we can see what this world is like. They change their minds every time you turn around as to what's right, good, and true. But Lord, your word's eternal and it doesn't change. We pray that you would transform us by conforming us to your word, not to the ways of the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.